Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Paul Walters from the International Institute of Live Events, a newly formed online learning environment. Uh, we've been talking to and interviewing a number of people and we'll continue to do so as part of our remit of working with industry to uh, essentially get as much information as we possibly can to the wider audience in terms of how the event industry operates, not just historically, but has it as it does now and hopefully as it goes on into the future. So today we have our, uh, on our podcast, we have Jane Pemblington, who has an extensive background in touring, live music touring um, around, around the world and particularly around Europe, and also has done a long stint with Alton Towers. Some of you may know of the, the ledger facility in the north of England. As, and through his role in Alton Towers, he had a, extensive sort of duties in regards to live events, which is something we're going to focus on um, in a moment. But um, since leaving Alton Towers, James has moved into the role where he has taken those transferable skills and now acting as a site manager for a COVID testing site, as we know, because the coronavirus has been running rampant throughout the world for some time now. So, James, um, I'd like to sort of hand over to you. And as I said, we'll focus on your experience primarily within Alton Towers. And if you want to uh, include anything else that you've done elsewhere to how it's helped you in your role within Alton Towers, please do so um, in terms of explaining what you do. So the first question I'd like to ask you, what was the role that you had within Alton Towers? Could you elaborate on that? Yes, certainly. Uh, so my role was a technical projects and event manager um, at Alton Towers, looking after the entertainments department. So that would involve everything from our CBB's land attractions through to our hotel production shows and then the events in terms of Scarefest, Christmas and also any press launches. Um, we'd also be involved with installing and designing the, the AV systems that would be built into certain rides. For example, uh, Wickerman, there's a lot of uh, AV and special effects on that ride. Um, so it's me and my team that would go in um, look after those, make sure that they're operating as they should be doing on a day-to-day -day basis, as well as any sort of planned uh, and reactive maintenance required. We would also, um, from an events point of view, look after, so Scarefest and Christmas were kind of the, the main big events, um, Scarefest being the biggest, and that would um, kind of involve almost 12 months of work for each each year that we we put on on the event so you know as soon as one year's finished we need to de-rig we need to maintain update those mazes and then start on the design and the build for the following year to make it even bigger and better than it was the previous year um, and that involved working with different teams across the resort so we'd work with marketing we'd work with our creative team that would come up with the the ideas behind the scare maze and then 
depending on the budget that we've got for that maze, we would work on a design, um, look at what sort of technical equipment we're going to put in there. We'd have to work closely with our construction team to make sure that things are heard but not, not seen. For example, like speakers, you know, it's going to kind of break the illusion if you go through a maze and see lots of technical equipment. But if it's all hidden, then it, it makes the experience a lot more immersive. Um, can I just focus on something that you just said um, in your sort of role? You said you worked for a team. So how many event professionals were in your team and who led the team? Did you lead the team and how many people were in that team? So our, the whole entertainment team is kind of structured a little bit around a kind of a theatrical um, role and, and how it's laid out in a theatre. So we've got our head of department, um, and then sat underneath them is our production managers, um, and alongside those are our head of um, the each department. So you've got myself, who's head of technical. We've got head of construction, and then a head of performers. Um, so I had a team of um, ten employees but we'd also get additional fixed term staff for busy periods like Scarefest that will be with us for just a fixed period of time um, and and yeah and it'd be up to me to sort of lead our team we'd have team leaders within that um, and because we will be building up to kind of five mazes at a time we'd also separate out those mazes and give give members of the team sort of responsibility over that maze because otherwise it becomes quite unmanageable because there's so much going off at one time you need to be able to rely on the staff to update you on key elements so it's quite quite a busy period of time not only have you got these projects that are going on which are quite vast but also have to be um really tightly managed because you've got a, a deadline that you need to get to you, you know any event you know you've got that opening day but for the scare mazes not only do we need to make sure it's ready for opening day there needs to be rehearsal time before that before that we need to have programming time and we also need to have um factors that allow us a bit of time should the creative team come in and realize that actually it doesn't quite work from a creative point of view or from from an actor point of view and we have to change something we need to factor in those sort of elements of, of unknown really um okay. so yeah alongside that which it already is quite a large task there's the day-to-day -day operation uh, that i was also responsible for and again that is opening up our, our CBeebies land attractions that's signing off uh, the Wickerman attraction the dungeons as well as operating shows up at the hotel so from being what can be a fairly sort of relaxed role at the start of the year when we've not got lots of projects all happening at the same time to when you get to July August time 
and everything's happening and, and quite intense, it, it can be a really busy and sometimes quite a stressful time as well. Okay. Now, you, you made reference to the fact that you have quite an extensive team and you indicated that you're, you're the technical manager um, in regards to that whole sort of um, management team. So what I'd like to know before I ask you uh, a more in-depth question about Scarefest, as you said, it was the biggest event. But before we get to that one, was everybody who worked on the event, and particularly Scarefest, were they all in-house or did you bring anybody from outside as part of your supply chain or operations team or was it was it a contained unit within Alton Towers? Um, it was a bit of both really so everyone that worked on it um, was from Alton Towers however part of those members of the team were fixed term staff so that might mean that we bring them in from sort of May June time and they work purely just on the Scarefest product. And then around November time, their contract would finish. Right. So it's a very short contract. Um, sometimes there was opportunities to extend that contract through Christmas, depending on the product offering and, and how many staff we needed. But majority of the time, it was just that sort of fixed term contract. Right. Okay. So you said Scarefest is probably one of your biggest events that you have at Alton Towers. Now, is that the biggest in terms of its size or biggest in terms of number of people or the biggest in terms of planning? Because you said that as soon as it's complete, as soon as you complete the event each year, you start the planning for next year. So what makes it the biggest event first and foremost? Uh, well, an element of all, all, all of three of those, really. Um, it, was, it was the biggest sort of revenue generator for the park um, it was it's open for around two weeks uh, but the park is also open uh, nine till nine during those uh, opening times and it brings in the most amount of money for the resort in in that short amount of time um, we also employ a huge amount of people so not only do we add to the technical team we also add to the construction team and there's around about two to 300 additional uh, actors that we employ as well um, to be in the scare mazes and the scare attractions. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, again, obviously it takes a huge amount of time from the planning point of view. We spend a lot of money on it, um, but that's because it, it generates a lot in its and it's something that each year we try and make bigger and better um, using new equipment, uh, different effects, um, things to make the attractions more sort of immersive and and different to to what other parks are doing. Okay, um, so you, just focusing on your technical role, then obviously. Within an event such as Scarefest, I would imagine, therefore, that there's quite a bit of technical um, planning that goes on, particularly from the point where the customer is going to experience what whatever it is you want to display and the activities that you want to have at the at the event. So, what prior experience did you have before commencing your job at Alton Towers? You know, for them to employ you, what did you bring to the table in terms of your technical? Um, 
prowess, so to speak. So, yeah, before Alton Towers, I've spent uh, a while touring Europe uh, with a band, and that band had a very theatrical show. Um, so we had lots of special effects. Um, the lighting and uh, the stage production uh, required a lot of management in terms of making sure that the set is right and we've got the right amount of props. The band that I was working with was a heavy metal band, but the type of, of show that they put on was very theatrical. It wasn't just turn up plugging the guitar and and away you go there was a huge amount of, of set and special effects so being able to manage that and manage a crew and a venue was was quite crucial to my role at Alton Towers um, and I learned a lot of skills while out on the road on on how to do that because you go you turn up to venues you might not speak uh, the language of the crew but you need need to be able to communicate to them what the show is, what you need, and at what time that that particular effect or or set piece needs to be on stage. There is a strong correlation within the event industry, with the theatre industry particularly, and and show calling and the, like you said, the theatre the theatre sort of performance that you have on stage. So, did you have any formal training in this sort of production and show calling or theatre style stage management, or did you just learn all of that on the job? Um, well, a little bit of both. So I've spent my whole sort of life within events and, and the theatre industry. Uh, when I was at school, we were lucky enough to have a theatre, and I joined that um, to learn learn the technical side of things. I never had an interest of being on stage, um, but always backstage or front of the house running the show. Um, I then went to college to study music and spent a lot of my time either on the drums as a drummer or again front of house learning the sound desk and what what needed to happen to make the show happen as well as that kind of started my love of kind of managing a stage and making sure that not only did we know how to play a song but actually put on more of a show so that there's not a big gap in between each track you know we finish one track and quite quickly go into the next or we set up some dialogue in between to make sure that the ship the you know the performance on stage seems seamless yeah i then spent a number of years um, at mansfield palace theater as casual crew and again learning different elements of what happens on a a real professional theater um after college, I then went to university and studied sound light live event technology at Derby Uni. Um, and it was during that time that I got the opportunity to tour. So I didn't finish my degree. Um, and for me, at that time, university wasn't the right thing for me. I kind of learned a lot more by kind of being thrown in at the deep end yeah and I, think, I think that's how a lot of people tend to learn as well like you said it's um learning on the job but but you said you said that you 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 your your 
competent, particularly in front of house and also backstage, which is which is obviously where a lot of technical people tend to operate. So could would you say that if if I was to drop you into a, a live show that you could operate the monitor desk on the stage? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And you could operate the front of house desk? Yeah. As well as the lighting desk? Yeah. And you could do the whole stage management and the show call in as well and put that all together? Yes. Right. So you're fully rounded in terms of understanding how not just aspects that are taken from theatre, but put into live events and live shows, touring production, but bringing that all together to put on a spectacular performance. You can you can you can competently take on those roles. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit uh, challenging because there are so many different types of sort of sound desks and lighting desks yeah so usually you kind of specialize in one type however you know to be i think to be successful in the industry you need to have a broad knowledge of everything um because there'll be times where you'll need to jump on lighting or jump on sound or or assist the stage management or um or do a bit of everything you know the things that we did at Alton Towers nobody was specialized in one thing they had to do of everything our shows were show controlled which meant they only had one operator and usually the lighting would be time coded so you hit go on the show and all you need to do is sort of monitor the sound level and make sure that the the QLab file is running. However, if there's a time where the lighting is not responding, you need to be able to jump on that lighting desk and make sure that that's triggered. Um, you also, particularly at the hotel shows, although you are there as a technician, you're also there as the hotel stage manager and making sure that that cast member is on stage at the right time, making sure that they're safe throughout their performance. Um, is crucial if you need to shop, stop the show for whatever reason, then you need to have the sort of knowledge to be able to understand what you would need to stop that show and and have the confidence to be able to do that. You know, if you're stopping a show because of a health and safety risk, um, if you don't know those risks, then you're not going to be able to stop it effectively. Um, and as part of that role, that, that was very crucial. Yeah, I mean... You made you made a good you made a good point there about the the, sh- the show the cues that you have when you're working on various different types of desk. So for those people who probably listen to this and not quite sure of the te- terminology that you're using within the technical sphere of what you did, what you what you've done previously. Um, what I'm trying to trying to get to is is the understanding of the fact that most desk, as you say, can be pre-programmable. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, yeah, and correct. with that, if once they're pre-programmable, once you pre-programmed each one, then you can sort of set the show, and the show should run in in a sequence. So if anything falls out of sequence, you're then you're there to sort of um sort of correct that in a sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's great, and it saves from a, a operational point of view, it saves a lot of money because you spend the time programming everything which means you've got less people that you need to run the show. Um, and obviously, you know, from a business point of view, it, it saves a lot of money. Yeah. 
So, so the Scarefest event, which you made reference to earlier, earlier on, and you said it's the biggest event and in, in all the areas which I made reference to. So how many people would tend to turn up for that event over the period of time that it's being delivered at Alton Towers? What's the sort of footfall, approximately? Um, I don't know. I would think it was in excess of uh, hundreds of thousands of, of guests. Um, obviously, not not on on the same day because there's, there's part limitations but across the two weeks yeah there's it's hundreds of thousands of guests that will be coming through through those attractions for example um the some of the bigger ones we would batch group of 16 guests every 90 seconds um and these would open at uh, midday, 12 o'clock, and the queue line would close at 9pm, and quite often they've still got a queue at 9pm, so the actual attraction won't close till 10, because you've still got now a long queue. Um, so if you imagine 16 guests going through every 90 seconds for 9 to 10 hours, that's a huge amount just on one attraction. You've got five across the park, um yeah it's it's big right yeah it does it does sound quite an extensive um management and technical sort of under undertaking so one of the things we i want to talk, move on to now is the client expectation so obviously this is the in-house event so therefore you become the client but obviously the event experience with which you mentioned you have a number of attractions i think you said you have about five correct me if i'm wrong and therefore, like you said, 16 operating at 90 second um, sort of delivery. How do you determine whether the event experience stays consistent? And how, and the second part of the question is, how do you know whether the event experience has really hit the mark for the people who are attending that event? Um, so to make sure it's consistent, our technicians would walk through the attraction every sort of 30 minutes at the maximum. Sometimes, depending on how sort of intense that attraction, we'd bring that time to sort of every 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And they would walk through that. As a technician, they've been there from the start of the build, so they know where the uh, special effects are, where all the lighting fixtures are, they know how it should sound, they know how we also use smells in those attractions. So again, uh, they know what smell should be in which room. So they have a checklist, they'll walk through the attraction, um, usually just behind a batch of guests. So they can make sure that things have been triggered as the guests have gone through. Mm -hmm. Um, And should anything be out of sync or not working correctly, it's their role to fix it and to fix it as quickly as possible. What we don't want to have is the attraction down for any length of the time. Sometimes you need to take the attraction down and we'll pause batching to allow time for the technician to fix an error mm-hmm. or to topple um, smells and things like that. Usually anything that requires ongoing maintenance like topping up a smoke fluid and things like that is in an area that we can get to while the attraction is still open. There's a lot of rat runs around these 
mazes. Um, but yeah, you know, we don't want the attraction down for any length of time um, because of the fact that, you know, if particularly if it's a new attraction, it's going to be very popular, which means we're going to have big queues and keeping those guests happy is, is what we want to do. You know, that's what, what we're paid to do and what we love going to work for. Um, however, if there's a health and safety issue, then, you know, that comes first. The, the priority is health and safety of our guests and staff. Um, how do we make sure that the guests are loving it? Uh, usually you'll hear lots of screams, which is a good thing in the scare mazes. Um, <laughs> we also run a lot of our, uh, tablets or sort of KPI machines that will give the um, customers an opportunity to give us some feedback. Um, and particularly for new scare mazes, we'll have those at the exit along with a host that will kind of prompt guests as they come out to give us some feedback. Um, and it's not just a use form. We do look at those and there's been times where we've reacted to that overnight and changed an element of the maze for the following day because we've had back where maybe a particular effect wasn't wasn't working or wasn't given the desired uh, response to our guests so we worked overnight to adjust that and make sure that for the next day it was it was doing what we needed to deliver again a response from those kpi machines and and if it's the right response then then happy days um but yeah we do do a lot of work with those so measuring the the customer experience through, um, uh, like you said, some form of tablet where people can just give their immediate response, and that data is then taken back. And who who who's then responsible for analysing that data and feeding that back to the team? And is that done on a daily basis or or at the end of the complete cycle, or do you, do you intermittently um, allow sort of? A, analysis of the data to then go back and potentially make some changes if there is a necessity to do so um yeah we would we look at it every day um because because the scare fest event is on for such a short amount of time we can't afford really for there to be any ongoing issues or or any sort of customer dissatisfactions across the the product um that would usually be run from our marketing department they would look at the responses and look after um that and they would dish out all of the sort of feedback to each department so entertainments when it's a, a scare maze or if they've got ones that are just around the park then there might be some feedback that need to go back to our rides department um and things like that That's, they can be varied but but yes it's looked at fairly quickly um i know that there's sometimes those sorts of machines are looked at once every couple of months on you know when you go into various sort of stores however for us because it's a very quick event and never changing we we look at it every day all right, so over, so over the six years you said that you worked at Towers, the Scarefest event would have to change and develop the event experience each year. There wasn't something that you, or I don't know, maybe you did, that you 
delivered each year that was a uh, really special that you felt you had to keep within the experience or did you go back to the drawing board and create something new and different each year um no we so there are some scare maze essentially a scare maze in itself will have a certain life run so whether that be two years or five years depending on the type of maze it is mm-hmm. um you know you'd get a larger budget for for a brand new maze and then each year that that continues you'd get a smaller budget because you're just maintaining it however it would be a little bit boring um particularly for the the guests and the fans of the scare mazes if we kept it exactly the same okay. so um for example there was a maze um that was called terror the towers which was quite a long-running maze but each year it was changed slightly so that you know as you come back the following years a repeat customer you can go through it with a new experience yes the the premise and the majority of the maze might be the same but we might change the ending or there might be an element of it that we we adjust throughout the maze um because we have a lot of repeat customers and having the same experience um will be quite dull and it also um encourages customers to sort of spend the money each year because they know that it's going to be slightly different um you know you could spend x amount one year and do all five mazes and if you go back the following year and they're all they're all still going and they're all exactly the same you're probably less likely to spend the money to go around all five whereas if you know that they're all going to be different then maybe you're more inclined to spend that money again um, and generate the revenue yeah okay um see here's a sort of moving on from the event experience and obviously that's a major part of the whole event in particularly in your role and the team that you worked with but one of the things within an event management armory is is management style and how you manage people so i'd like to know and i suppose the audience as well would like to know from your own point of view do you feel that you operate from a more autocratic management style or a democratic or do you apply a sort of mixture of both how do you manage to get people to work and work effectively particularly when you have um, tight deadlines and you have a uh, a requirement to meet those specific event delivery um, sequences like you told me like you like you said earlier on um i think my my management style is is fairly sort of laid back you know i've been i've lucky i've worked for a number of people and kind of taken elements from from everyone that i've, I've worked with but i'm very much a people person uh, and i think that is is what why i'm able to get what i get out of my staff because i talk to them you know great communication with the team and i always make sure that i'm as open and as clear as possible and from the very start outline what is expected um and also if there are any kind of you know deadlines and things like that 
that all of that information gets passed through. It's not sort of a secret or I don't keep anything to myself as some kind of hierarchy or, you know, anything like that. I'm very open, very clear and being honest and being like that. I think the the team sort of respect it and and get on with it and, and understand that from me. And because of that, they're able to to kind of understand the full process. I don't know if that makes sense. No, um, it, it does. It does. Like you said, it, it, you have a more sort of democratic and an open um, access to free to information and how you disseminate information. Like you said, because particularly with what you do holding back information could be really detrimental to other other people in your team and obviously like you said the whole event experience and it's true um, it, you know different people operate differently and they may feel it necessary to, to be more autocratic in the way they manage or they may be like you said more open and democratic in a way in which they allow people to come forward and talk about the problems that they have within the event or issues that they may have um, experienced that you may not have seen and therefore need correcting so allowing people to, to take take on that responsibility as an individual within within the team to to address problems that sometimes could be could be immediate and not left to the let's say the end of the day or the end of the week which is something that could could have been corrected much earlier on would you say that yeah yeah definitely because as well with, with the the role of Alton towers it was for the team it was a very high you know fast paced role um, things would change quite quickly. Um, sometimes the environments that we worked in were not the best. You know, we're working in the Grade Two list of building, which is cold, damp. Um, it's a little bit eerie as well when we're working late at night in in that kind of building, and particularly when anything that we do outside, again, the Great British weather means that majority of the time it's going to be raining and cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to manage a team in that situation becomes difficult and I I don't like to be the person that um, makes the staff feel like they can't take something um, particularly when we're building mazes and there's a tight deadline if someone is afraid to say that they've been behind in the schedule that means that I'm not aware of that we've fallen behind and then before we know it the whole team is massively behind mm-hmm. and that someone was afraid because they thought I might shout at them or, or something whereas that doesn't work for me I need everyone to be 100% honest if we've fallen mm-hmm. behind and that might not be their fault it might be actually I've not provided enough for that task or we've not given them enough training or is it because the delivery was late you know there's a huge huge amount of other options that it could be it's not necessarily that individual yeah so yeah i'm i like to be very approachable and you know we have to on at alt towers it's you know it is a case of making making memories for for our guests and having a good time and if working there then we also need to be having a good time and, and having a laugh yes there's a lot of work to be done but we can do that with a smile on our face even yeah. when we're in a lot of rain and wind um yeah 
I can I can fully understand. Yeah, working outdoors and the live event experiences. Um, you're you're prone to the elements to a large degree. And like you said, if you're working in a building and it's a listed building and it's not uh, <laughs> predominantly geared up for or designed predominantly for a live event, then it's very challenging to make sure that you can deliver what you need to. Uh, so moving on and just reflecting back on one of the points you made, I know you said that the Scarefest is the, the biggest event in, in many ways. From the consumer point of view, would you say the Scarefest is their sort of uh, premier event for Alton Towers or is there another event that you'd like to uh, elaborate on? Um, yeah, I still think uh, it is the, the biggest event of the year. Now, I know last year, because of uh, the pandemic, they put on lots of other events in the start of the year to kind of maximise people wanting to go to the resort because there was something that was happening that hadn't happened before. So they had a Mardi Gras event, uh, they had Oktoberfest, as well um but scarefest is still the biggest door um to the park because of you know the opening times you're able to ride rides in the dark which you don't normally get to do um everyone kind of dresses up in fancy dress and and wacky and weird costumes and you know it's it's a real it's a real big event and obviously after that we have fireworks, which is still a huge, huge event, and usually the three days are sold out. Um, so that's for sort of you know a small amount of time. The fireworks event is is huge. However, for the length of time that Scarefest is on, that is definitely the biggest event. Okay. So so you you, you mentioned the coronavirus um, and. <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's, it's going to be one of those words that most people are going to find most disturbing as the years go on. So, so were you working at Alton Towers during that early the early period when the coronavirus hit the UK? Yes. Um, so, yeah, back in March last year, mm-hmm. um, we were, well, no, Feb, we were getting ready to reopen the park in March. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we were all put onto furlough um with sort of skeleton staff uh working on site just to make sure that things are still maintained and safe um because that type of resort you can't just close the doors and hope that it's gonna need someone there to, to look after things and then yeah unfortunately later on that year i got the call to say that that role was being made redundant yeah, because I know the event industry, obviously, like like so many others, but particularly within our industry, there was a huge shift in terms of, you know, closing down these various different venues and events and postponing events um, and hoping that there was some form of sort of guidance that the industry could use to take forward to bring events back to the consumer. So Alton Towers is, is now open, I take it. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. In in your in your opinion, what guidance do you feel the industry should have put out there for the event industry to get ready for the the, the rebirth, let's say, of coming out of the coronavirus in terms of um, getting back to some form of normality? 
Um, I don't know. That's a really hard one. Yeah, uh, I, know, I know Public Health England has been this sort of driving force from a, a governmental point of view. And as you probably know, there are a number of different um, associations um, and event organizations out there that publish like the, the, the Purple Guide and the event forum. There's, there's various different sort of um, organizations that give our industry or individuals in our industry or groups or different or different types of events to say this is how you should move forward and there are there are some guidance out there at the moment um, but do you feel that there should be more and if there is should be more who should be driving it should it be the government should it be um, the department of culture who should should be taking forward this this um, guidance for us to then move forward and bring events back to the to the people? Um, I mean, I don't think it should necessarily come from direct from the government because you know they, they've got a duty of care to to the public and you know big events can be a huge risk and, and obviously are a risk um, if not managed correctly but yeah i think maybe you know the council and 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 that area um whether there was anything that we could have done to get events to open up a lot sooner i'm not sure because i think as well it's it's down to the public perception and and how happy and comfortable they feel i don't know what you know if even if events could have still yeah, yeah i, I, I get your point because there's been a few test events um recently and i went to a test event um, in newcastle an outdoor an outdoor live event um that was planned on on a, yeah planned planned by a, a major major uh, corporate company and an, and an established event organizer and that was supported by the government in terms of public health england to determine whether or not the the policies and the procedure that they were going to put in place wouldn't exacerbate the spread of the coronavirus so that, that was one of the first 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 outdoor events in the uk that was done um let's say legally and um used as a as a trial there's been quite a number of, of a, a number of events that have been done recently uh, and those those ones are also added to the whole data collection in regards to people coming to the event and having a prior test before they arrive at the event. And when they leave the event, they have to have that test again to, to see whether or not there has been a significant spread or what percentage of the population at the event um, did catch coronavirus. And was it a, a direct response to the event itself? So I'm just I'm just wondering. Um, I know it's difficult in a sense, like you said, who, who should be driving this and just your opinion and where 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 we are and if it's if it's down to the industry really to 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 give a direction for people like yourself and myself and graduates who are moving into the into the industry to say okay who's taking the lead to give us clear and specific sort of directions about how we then deploy events in this post corona environment yeah i mean the, the events industry has obviously pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed to get events reopened as quick as possible. I think to begin with, there was maybe still at the minute um, 
there seemed to be an unfair proportion of uh, you know sporting events and things like that compared to live music mm-hmm. um, whereas now that the restrictions have changed the the live events are, are coming back um but yeah, yeah i think yeah, you know, you're, you're absolutely right yeah I've, you, we've seen it with rugby we've seen it with um we've seen it with um royal ascot you know various other major sporting events have managed to take place without too much difficulty in in that sense um but like you said the live the live events has been sort of left out in the cold so to speak and yeah and and the event industry is, is saying well we we need to get them back in the same way you managed to get the sporting events back where 60 70,000 people or more or less of turning up to these events without any difficulty and sometimes in in some respects um and I wouldn't say flouting the rules at the time, but allowing allowing those events to go on therefore di- dictates that mass gathering can continue, whether it's a sporting event or whether it's a live music event. So let, let's hope that 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 is rectified in a way that there is no big disparity between sporting and live music in that sense, particularly festivals, which a lot of people now are sort of going back to, but not in the same numbers that they, they used to, obviously. So moving on to another question because obviously with with this there are a lot of people who are experienced and a lot of people out there are coming into the event industry and or just graduated from an events management course and they would have learned the theoretical event management principles and they would have learned the management theory and along with so many other things that we that you and i know is is really necessary within within the event industry but focusing on your aspect as a technical person so as a newly qualified event graduate, do you think it's necessary for them to have an understanding? They may not be proficient in the technical aspect as you are, but do you think an event management course should give a graduate an understanding of the technical aspects associated with planning and delivering a live event? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, Why is that? I've, I've worked with uh, a number of uh, people across different industries and different places, not not just at Alton Towers. And the difference of working with someone that understands um, the amount of work that is required for from a technical side of things compared to someone that doesn't is vast. Um, even down to... Uh, rehearsals and planning rehearsals and the rehearsal schedule from someone uh, that's running the event that has no understanding of the technical type that the technical aspect the timings will be completely off compared to someone that does have that understanding because they'll know that okay we need to spend some time with mic fitting we need to spend some time with the cast getting familiar with that mic and how they need to use that we need to spend time uh, with the technicians and going through each element of that that event um, compared to someone that doesn't understand how much is required from a technical point of view. You quickly um, can go through your rehearsal without getting the elements nailed down. Um, so yeah, it's it have to be. 
you know knowing how to mix sound or knowing the signal flow through a, a lighting desk or a sound desk or anything like that yeah. you just need to have someone that's got a little bit of a, an appreciation the amount of effort that it takes for you know to set up a mic for a presenter it's not just putting it on the head and saying off you go you know you need to do the eq you need to have a sound system you need to be able to make sure that you've got the right radio frequency are you in an area that has got restricted radio frequencies you know there's this huge amount out there and you know spending um a day or, or two days just going through these basics um i think means that only do you have an appreciation for what the technical team do yeah. but because you understand it that technical team will have a lot more respect for you as well um whereas someone that comes in and, and kind of wants their way through and, and demands x y and z uh you kind of gonna lose friends <laughs> quite quickly and the event industry although we do a huge amount of stuff it is quite small you know everybody kind of knows everybody in this True. kind of industry. <laughs> yeah you that can be a good thing and a bad thing yeah so you know if you get your bad reputation then all of a sudden um that phone is going to stop ringing and going to be looking for work no very true and i i tend to tend to tell a lot of my students that a lot of the jobs that i've had in the industry has been through referrals um majority to be honest it's been through referrals and and that goes 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 back to what you said about people tend to know but know know people and they would, they're more likely to recommend you because they've seen what you can do and what you're capable capable of in the role that you are currently work currently working working in. So and, yeah. and, I, and just as you said, you know, I I wouldn't say that I'm technically proficient, therefore I know how to operate a sound desk or a or a lighting desk, but I understand the the requirements of the role that you do. So like you said, making sure that when you put together a production schedule or a, or a sequencing, particularly a production scheduling, and you're, you're looking at get-ins and get-outs, and you're looking at rehearsals, as a manager or a production manager, you're saying, I know that these people need this amount of time to do their job and to do it effectively, rather than cutting back on the time and getting production people to, to, to work at a, at a rate that is, is, is going to be potentially um, harmful, harmful to them, and they're working long hours and they're tired and therefore they can potentially make mistakes and that all impacts on the show so somebody who's taken on that management role who really understands the technical team because like you said if you get it wrong in the technical requirement the whole show can li literally fall apart in front of your eyes yeah and it's also valuable for for you running that event to actually understand whether your technical team are competent you know, if you turn up, say you're doing a theatre show um, and you find that things are not not running correctly, um, is it actually that your technical team are not competent and you need to find another team? If you don't understand what their requirements are, yeah. then um, you're never going to know whether they're competent or not. True. True. Um, so we're coming up to our sort of penultimate question now. Um, so during your time at Alton Towers, 
how do you think it's prepared you for any future event management roles? Because obviously now you're looking at what you're potentially going to be doing once the country goes through the process of fully opening up. So where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself pushing your 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 sort of a career, so to speak? Um, so my passion is in creating events and creating sort of immersive experiences for guests. So I'm looking to get to a role similar to to what I had at Alton Towers, but um, essentially where I I <laughs> what I as as a weird element you know creating it's not your total conference where you know you've got some standard set pieces a projector and some some speakers and lights i my passion and where i get really excited is is creating something that's different that really captures your guests imagination and really immerses them in the so whether that be kind of escape rooms and, and creating those or apologies, um, or whether that would be um, creating new attractions at theme parks or um, working with a sort of architectural team to create something special in um, a, a restaurant or a shopping center like a pop-up um, like a pop-up event in, in a sense yeah 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 so creativity like that, is really, that, at the, really at the core and center of what you do in a sense yes definitely and obviously using using technical elements to create something spectacular is is where sort of where my passion is and what gets me excited in the morning yeah no, I, I fully understand i fully understand that there's nothing better than putting something down on paper and then seeing it come to life you know, six months, a year down the line, or or longer, and and knowing that it that that came out of your imagination, and 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 all of a sudden people now are at the event and enjoying it in a way that you envisaged when you first started that creative process. I think there's no better feeling than than seeing that and and, and having that from a from a an event create creator point of view but also from a customer experience point of view so I fully understand where you're coming from so my, my last question to you now uh, James is this one so obviously a lot of things people talk about in all industries is um, you know training and development and is there a requirement to, to acquire new skills and training to, so would you look at further training and if you were to look at further training where would you see that for you as you develop your career in the field of live events management um, I think you always have to be open for learning new skills and developing those skills and, and training. Um, I don't necessarily know at the minute what training I would need or want. Um, I think for me personally, developing on the, the health and safety side of things is a big, big tick for me. Um, I've recently just completed my IOSH um, manager safely course and sort of building up on that is, is quite key because again you know health and safety is is the, the pinnacle of, of 
every event you know without that your event shouldn't happen um but you know i'm i'm always open for learning new skills and whether that be an online course or attending a, a, a site for for a week or a few days to learn those skills mm-hmm. i'm really passionate about developing that and part of what i used to say to my team you know we'd have a huge amount of courses available at Alton towers that for the for the right person that had the right drive we would happily put them through that even though it's at a cost to Alton Towers you know it's it's benefiting us as Alton Towers to have the people with the right skills um so if you've got the right drive and the right determination and the right attitude to work then then definitely take take every sort of opportunity with open arms well that's that's good to see that the organization was inspiring people to develop themselves and take training because not all not all organisations will do that, and if they do, then a lot lot of the cost is down to the individual to to see that, and in terms of their own personal and professional development. So I, I commend the organisation for taking that on board, and for you to see the people who work work for you or work under you, to then look at them as a potential person who who may want to have um, new training or take on training and take on skill development to ensure that they continue in their job role and perform to the standard that is expected. So I, I thank you, James, for your time with us today and allowing us to interview you on, on your specific role and your future endeavours. So if there's anything else you'd like to add, um, I will then close that for today. James, anything you'd like to say? Um, now I'd just like to, you know, just say it's a good luck to to your your students and people that are coming into into the world of work. It's obviously it's a very tough time at the moment, um, but there are a huge amount of opportunities, and you know, feel free to to talk to people like myself, especially on LinkedIn and connect with people. It's a great networking tool, um, and and yeah, just keep keep kind of your your mind open for different opportunities. When I first left college, all I wanted to do was go on tour and work with the band. Um, and then I kind of almost fell into this role at Alton Towers after sort of going through the ranks. And now it's a whole new world that I never knew was open and absolutely love it. Excellent. Thank you very much, James. And we very much appreciate your contribution today. Okay. No worries. Thank you very much for having me.